Welcome to Nature Finds a Way, a fictional biology podcast where we nerd out about biology facts and fiction in some of our favorite books, movies, and TV shows. I'm Lindsay, and she's Sarah, and we are marine biologists in recovery, and today we are talking about ape house. So we are here at PodCon 2, which is super exciting and crazy and also nerve-wracking to be recording here. Yeah. And have people watch us. <laughs> yep. We're uh, in a, a really proper recording studio, and um, we're excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be super awesome, and hopefully uh, we've got some amazing ideas already for new stuff and uh, working on our podcast, and hopefully we'll be sharing those with you as we move forward into 2019. Awesome. Uh, Lynn, do you want to start us out by talk- talking about what is Ape House? Yeah, it is, Ape House is a book by Sarah Gruen. Um, it was published in 2010. Sarah Gruen is probably best known for Water for Elephants, which is a book and a movie starring Robert Pattinson, which we won't go into or feelings about that. Um, but Ape House is a really good book. We actually read it for the book club that we're in um, seven million years ago. Yeah, uh, a really long time ago. A really long time ago. Um, and so we decided to read it again because we remember both liking it and remember having a lot of good stuff to that would be meaty to talk about so the basic premise we're not going to spoil a lot a lot of it because we really think you should read it is uh there are six yeah i think six yeah uh bonobos who are in a research lab and they are monkey napped for lack of a better word uh, and taken to basically like a big brother reality style house where they live by themselves and they have to do things and people watch and the of course the biggest attraction is that bonobos are like us and very similar. They have many humanistic traits, but they also like to have a lot of sex, which is hilarious for reality TV producers. Yeah. So it's... And then it follows a bunch of people around there, like a researcher who worked with them and a journalist and some other people and their stories, both um, in attempts to rescue the bonobos and also their lives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, so what is a bonobo? Uh, bonobos are primates, monkeys. They're really closely related to chimpanzees. They're in the same genus, so they're uh, pan-paniscus. Um, and they're much less commonly studied and uh, researched than chimpanzees, mainly because there's only about 50,000 individuals, and they live in a really limited habitat only within the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is a pretty politically unstable country, so doing a lot of field research is pretty uncommon. Um, but they are, in some facilities, used to do uh, cognitive language research. We'll get more into that later. Um, so bonobos, they are omnivorous. They live mostly in forest habitats. They are arboreal and terrestrial. They climb trees. They walk on two feet and four feet, just depending on what they need to do. The big differences in their physique compared to chimpanzees is that they're a little bit more slender build. Their faces stay black as they age, whereas chimpanzees, um, baby chimpanzees, have really dark faces, and then as they get older, their faces get lighter. Um, And then bonobos have pink lips rather than dark lips like chimpanzees. Hmm. Socially, they have a really, really different structure. Um, Chimpanzees are generally very aggressive. Males are very aggressive between each other very protective of their territory, very protective um, and very competitive between different territories. Bonobos have a female dominant structure. 
the females form these really tight bonds and sort of keep the males in line, don't really let them be as aggressive. Um, they have much more overlap between groups of chimpanzees, like there's um, more common fusion fission social structure, so they like come together as a group, split up, join other groups, come back together. And those tight bonds, as Lindsay was saying, are done mainly through sociosexual contact. So bonobos use sexual contact to do all kinds of things, form bonds, um, communicate, welcome, thank, all sorts of um, interaction. The name bonobo, uh, they don't really know where it comes from, but they think it might be from a misspelling or a misreading of a shipping label from the town of Bolobo, which is really <laughs> close to where the first sample of bonobos was collected in the 1920s. So good job, folks, of yeah. naming animals. That sounds like how Canada was named. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We spelled it wrong. So, so oops. Nope. You're stuck now with bonobos. <laughs> yeah. So one of the main things well there's a um, there's a really good afterword of the, in this book talking mm. about the research that the author did and there's a lot of this book that we really enjoyed which is kind of ironic because it gave us a little bit less to talk about is that most of the biology and the science in this book is pretty spot on yeah it's really accurate i mean there's obviously a huge fictional component to it but um the author really did her research and i think both in terms of understanding bonobos and also like representing people who do research on live animals in a really respectful and yeah. nuanced way. Definitely. So the most unrealistic part, like the parts that are the questions to us would be when they're in the Big Brother house, they have the lexicon, the computer that uh, they've been trained to use in the research lab, which shows images and they can order them. And in the house, they have pictures of like hamburgers and M&Ms and all sorts of crazy candy as well as other random things. Um, and they continuously pick them, they continuously feed themselves, and mm -hmm. it's unclear um, if they know how to feed themselves, if they remember, because they are in the lab and they would get fed on a regular schedule. So if they know how to ask for food and if they know how to remember that they need to keep eating. Um, uh, I don't know what the turnaround time in the book was from ordering and then getting the food, so... Yeah, that was a bit vague, like they... Um they would order the food and it's unsure like if they were if it was like were they ordering it from Amazon and it would just come like the next day or if it would come right away like they picked up really quickly on being able to like press the button and food would just appear but I don't yeah it I was, don't know it was like very vague yeah like the link like the linkages between getting the food especially food that is has enough nutrients to sustain them I mean they weren't actually there for that long so who knows? And obviously, like this house wasn't set up to be an ethical no. way of treating the animals Not at all in any way, <laughs> so. uh, which is a big storyline. But yeah, so they, it's so it's kind of iffy. Like, are they ordering the food because they like it and they just want to keep eating cheeseburgers, or do they know that they're supposed to be feeding themselves? Like, that's yeah. a um, a query, and that's nothing to do with the research being wrong. It's just like a gap yeah. in the story. Um, from a science and a gap I think only because we both come from an animal care and animal training yeah. background so we're like did they already know how to do this did they train themselves to do it yeah yeah um, and as with our animal background the uh, the biggest problem that I had is the end when they end up in the San Diego Zoo that's a slight spoiler sorry it's a happy ending yeah um, they uh, it only takes six months for this really fancy, brand new, super expensive exhibit to be built. Um, yeah. Which is so inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> not just from a standpoint of building an exhibit, but also these bonobos are six bonobos who have a very tight family structure, as you mentioned. 
Um, so they would definitely be separate from any other bonobos that San Diego Zoo might have, which they do have them currently. Hmm. As well as there would be insane quarantine issues because these guys um, worked with humans, they were in a lab, and then they were in like this horrible, gross, messy house with who knows what happened. Um, so there's no way that they would be on display with other animals in that short amount of time. Quarantine can last a really long time, especially with mammals. I don't even know. Yeah, um, so in my previous life, I have worked with primates, but not large ones, really, really tiny, cute ones. Um, and yeah, our quarantine- Less smart also. Yeah, less smart, different smart. Um, they, we probably would quarantine for anywhere from a month to six months, depending on where they came from and yeah. what came up in terms of testing um, with our veterinary staff. So just totally depends. Okay. Yeah. Um, so next up, we thought we'd talk a bit about research that's actually in real life done on bonobos, which the book probably represented pretty accurately. Um, yeah, so Lynn, do you want to talk about that at the beginning? Yeah, so they, um, the author talks about her how she went to a facility, which was the Ape Cognition and Conserv Conservation Initiative, which is in Des Moines, Iowa. And it's basically very similar to how it's set up in the book. They have um, five bonobos. Um, three of them learned important humans of element, important elements of human culture in their first year, and then the other ones were born there, and they learned it from the humans as well as the other bonobos. They learned a lot of different things. They have um, they're very language competent, and they can uh, communicate with humans using sign language, and also the similar to in the book, um, four hundred over 400 uh, lexigram symbols printed on paper or on a computer screen. So they basically have been able to communicate. They can um, do lots of things, like one of them can actually build a fire and make um, stone tools and all sorts of things that we associate with human evolution and mm -hmm. human traits. So they can do that. They've been on tons of shows like Oprah and stuff. Um, and they have over 400 scientific papers and books documented about them. So they're incredibly well-researched. They can do all sorts of different things um, with language, and they're incredibly language-competent with communicating with humans in varieties of different languages. Yeah, and I think what was neat is the ones that are born in the facility end up learning both, like, the bonobo language. Like, they have um, their own vocal and non-vocal communication yep. languages that are, I think, they're one of the things they're trying to study is, like, using language that humans already understand to help us understand their own language. Yeah, which is a, something that uh, scientists are doing with all sorts of animals. Like, I know that they have at least attempted to do it with dolphins um, yeah. and other cetaceans. Like, how do these animals understand each other vocally and non-vocally? Mm -hmm. And how can we get them to tell us how they're doing that? Yeah. Which is much harder with dolphins. Yeah. No thumbs. <laughs> no thumbs. Makes it hard to do sign language. Um, yeah, so they're able to use that combination. So the the parent bonobos end up teaching their kids language in all three languages, like the lexographs, the ASL, and bonobo languages. Yeah, it's kind of like my um, little kid friends who learned how to count to 10 in English, French, and Spanish all at the same time. Yes. <laughs> they watched Dora and spoke French. Yes. Canada. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, I ended up looking into, there's a more in situ research and conservation facility that's actually in the um, Democratic Republic of the Congo called uh, Lola Ya Bonobos, which is like sanctuary for bonobos. Um, and what they do is they're ma mainly an orphanage and a sanctuary. So one of the main threats aside from habitat destruction and being from a limited range is that bonobos are hunted um, for bushmeat. Um, and then the poachers will take 
like they'll shoot the parents and the adults and they'll take the um the uh juveniles like the babies and sell them on the black market and so obviously that is illegal <laughs> for so many reasons um so there is this sanctuary where basically the only way that you can enforce such a thing like responsibly is to have a place to send them so this uh, facility ha uses surrogate mothers to raise uh, bonobo uh, babies and then they're able to they have a huge uh, sanctuary facility like with wild forests and all that stuff and so some of them stay there and then some of them depending on like medical uh, history and also like how um, imprinted on people they get they have a, a park like wild place that they can send them to and uh, where they work with the local people to really be like protectors of bonobos and their um, environment and so like getting local people involved to stop um, the bushmeat trade and uh, sell selling of baby mm. um, chimpanzees and bonobos as well so um, at this facility they let researchers come and work with the animals there um, and they really are focusing on obviously non-invasive research so like you know, maybe you can do blood draws or things like that, but pretty limited invasive um, procedures. And then also research that's really focused on benefiting bonobo individuals and bonobo populations. So not doing research on bonobos that doesn't have anything to do with improving yeah. the lives of bonobos. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Um. So I guess the other thing, sort of the, the topic that we haven't really covered is like the ethics of animal research and obviously that's a way bigger topic than we can get into yeah we have today. a limited time and we know from our background about how squidgy that can be yeah yeah um, there's definitely there's a lot of different sides and there's it's not black and white and there's no one answer but uh, it does they do touch on some really really horrible research stuff in this book mm -hmm. that's super like private companies doing absolutely disgusting things to animals um, so obviously that's one end of the spectrum, but you also have to look at um, the research lab where the bonobos are at the beginning. Uh, they're super happy, they're healthy, um, and they're doing really great things, but they are in the lab yeah. being cared by humans, being cared for by humans, and we don't know how they got there. Yeah. Um, so they could have been like rescued, quotation marks, from this trade, or they, they could have been sold and then sold again and then sold again. Mm -hmm. um, and, but they're still there. Yeah. And so it's a lot of different things of like you have to look at that and you have to try and make their lives the best that they can be in the situation that they're in because those animals can't go back into the wild. Yeah. Um, for yeah. a lot of different reasons. And that's a lot of um, that's a similar issue across all animals in research uh, labs and also in uh, captivity. So, yeah, I really liked how this book um, presented the people as trying to make things like it's like the main characters of the book obviously like there's some antagonistic characters in the book but like the the main research scientist in the book and other people working with her like they get that these animals it's not ideal that these animals are not in the wild but they're really like their whole purpose in life is making the lives of the animals under their care as best as they can be and also um making sure that the research is being done to both improve their lives to like you know, add some extra meaning to their lives, even if the animals don't comprehend it, but like maybe they do. I don't know. It's like, I think making that obligation and fulfilling that obligation of having the individual's life be the best and also making sure that they're doing more than just 
eating and yeah just being present yeah like yeah it's interesting because in the beginning of the book before everything happens um the researcher she has no issue with their lives that Mm -hmm. they have and then at the end they end up in a more natural habitat Mm -hmm. um i assume still being studied because why wouldn't they be and um but they're in a more natural habitat they get to have outside areas constantly yeah so they do end up being in a better situation at the end but in the beginning she doesn't talk discuss about how that's a thing that's necessary yeah which i think maybe isn't talked about in the book and maybe is a bit of a criticism of the book is that it seems like at the beginning the these apes are in like this perfect situation yeah like everything's great and and wonderful she does definitely realize that there are some issues with where they were Mm -hmm. so um yeah like obviously they went through some pretty terrible stuff to end up where they do end up at the end of the book but um it's i think really great that it's not like they just go back into the exact same thing like yeah definitely human characters grow and the apes get a better better um, life life at the end too so yeah and they still get to contribute to the science that they were intended for i don't even know like if that's the right word like they're still doing they're still contributing to research and making Mm. their lives and humans' lives better. They were talking, I think, at the end or in the after Mm. when they're um, working with the the deaf schools. Is that in the book or in the afterward? I think that's in the afterward, but, um, yeah, you should read the book and find out. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like, that's something that would be really cool if I was someone who was deaf Mm -hmm. and being able to communicate with a bonobo or or any other... um, Any animal. uh, Any any primate who has that. um, That would be really awesome yeah so that kind of stuff is something that you always have to think about is the purpose of the research and, and um what if is necessary and what makes their lives better and just how to make everybody's lives better exactly exactly so yeah i would definitely recommend checking out this book hopefully we tried our best not to spoil, <laughs> spoil it. too much of it there's i mean obviously you know where the apes end up but there's a lot of twists and turns and really yeah. great uh it's just a really great story. So yeah, we didn't even it. talk about the characters, really, no. like the human characters. Yeah, we don't really talk about humans on this podcast. No, we try to avoid them at all costs. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Lizzie, if people want to hear more about our podcast or if they want to talk to us about Ape House, where can they find us? You can find us on all social media um, accounts. I totally forgot those words. Uh, I'm sorry. I've been on vacation. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you can find us at Nature Finds a Way on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can find us at naturefindsapod.com um, to subscribe and to see all the stuff that we have there. Yeah. Um, and we will be back later. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.